Hey everybody, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Doesn't that sound so much better? OMG, it sure does to me. I have to say I am immensely happy and grateful and relieved with the positive response that we received from the rebranding that we announced on Wednesday. Thank you everyone for your support and understanding. I am so, so happy to have that behind me so that we can start charging forward in the right direction together. Let's get back down to business, shall we? Today, my guest is somebody I have wanted to have on for such a long time. I am joined by the amazing Ruth Croft, the Kiwi Crusher, who is, in my opinion, one of the best, most versatile athletes in the world somebody who is dangerous on every start line that she steps to, no matter the distance, the terrain, or the elevation profile, Ruth is always a contender. She and I met in her home country of New Zealand back in 2015 at the Tarawera Ultra Marathon, where she finished second place in her first 100K, and I have been a big admirer of hers ever since. Not only do I think very highly of Ruth as an athlete, but I also love her humble, hard work attitude and also the really intentional and thoughtful way that she has organized her career over the years. I think she has been very smart, which is one of the reasons uh, that she has been so ridiculously consistent as a high performer in the sport over the past several years. This year, Ruth had an absolutely insane season starting the year winning the Tarawera Ultramarathon outright. That is correct. She finished first overall before then winning the Ultra Trail Australia 50K in the spring, finishing second place in her first 100 miler on one of the biggest stages in the world at the Western States 100. And then recently she finished her season with another victory at Le Templier, which is one of the most important races in France. She is an absolute superstar. We talked about obviously this past season, what she thinks contributed to that amazing streak of success. But we also talked about her, her story, her history with sport and her career. Uh, before we get to the conversation with Ruth, a reminder that our first feature length film will be premiering on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific time on the Free Trail YouTube channel. And we would love it if you would join us live. I am so stoked with how the film turned out. Uh, you can find a link in the show notes to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out. Uh, and then immediately following the screening, myself and Ludovic Pomeray, the French ultra icon who won this year's Grand Raid, uh, he and I are going to be doing a little bit of an interview slash Q&A immediately following the premiere. So please do join us. And then we are also going to be doing a screening at the Seven Hills Running Company in Seattle on Monday. So that should be fun too, if you're in the Seattle area. But uh, yeah, thanks again to Compra Sport for being the title sponsor of the film and also the first sponsor of this podcast. That's right. After two full years of doing the show for free and turning away dozens of offers for sponsorship, we are now engaging with advertising partners because quite frankly, without them, we have no path forward as a company and we would like to survive. 
I am incredibly happy to welcome Compress Sport as our first partner on the show. They have been a big supporter of mine over many years. Uh, and for those unfamiliar, Compress Sport is a European compression wear and apparel brand based in Annecy, France. They make amazing products from socks to apparel to jackets and packs, and they are trail running focused. I mean, they are core to the community and they make such great products. In addition to being a premium brand with super high quality products, they are also a brand filled with very high quality people who were the first to believe in our free trail vision and who have gone above and beyond to support what we're trying to build. If you appreciate what we do, please support them. If you enjoy the show, our success depends on their success. So please visit Compersport.com, link in the show notes, buy yourself a Christmas gift. Thank you so much to Compersport for sponsoring this podcast. On with the program, please welcome from the South Island of New Zealand, the amazing Ruth Croft. Hey, Ruth. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Great. So we have to start with uh, your hotel quarantine, your return home to New Zealand. <laughs> well, what's the process like to get back into the country? And uh, how do you maintain your sanity? Um, it's actually pretty tricky to get in. Uh, our borders obviously have been shut since the beginning of the pandemic. And um, it's a lottery system. To, so you have to get a spot in one of the quarantine hotels. And so you log on to your computer and then you get spat out into a queue and you just hope that your number is high enough up the queue to get a room. So we did the first lottery and there were 3000 beds released, rooms released and over 30,000 Kiwis trying to get back into New Zealand. So, oh my gosh. So, so how do you organize it with your flight? Do you have to book your flight first and then enter the lottery or vice versa? Mm -hmm. No, so you enter the lottery and then you hope if you get in the queue, you then get, uh, if it works, it's kind of way down the queue to your number and then you're left with whatever, whatever dates are left. So you select the date and then you have 48 hours to book your flight. <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh. Logistical nightmare. It's like trying to get into Western States. You know, you got to <laughs> have, have luck with the lottery and then you have to organize everything and yeah, well, Grant Guys actually said he's like, you probably have better better ch chances getting selected for Western States or Hard Rock than getting back into New Zealand. <laughs> well, uh, I'm sure it feels good to be home. I mean, so give the specifics of the, the quarantine before we press record. You said you were locked up for a week and then three days self-isolation. What are the yeah. details there? Um, so we were actually lucky. I think it was two weeks before we were flying back. They reduced the quarantine time to from two weeks in the hotel to seven days. Um, so you're in a hotel and you're in your room. You're allowed out. We were allowed out for one 45-minute walk or one 30-minute walk around a 150-meter lap kind of car park <laughs> only in clockwise direction as well <laughs> we we tried to switch it up and run anti-clockwise and then the armed forces came over and told us no you're only allowed to run clockwise do you do you do like vo2 max 30 minute uh <laughs> exercise out there? just to, you gotta, <laughs> just to uh just to get all the uh, energy out that you possibly can before locking yourself up again 
Yeah, pretty much. It was like yeah. a tempo for 30 minutes for seven yeah. days. Yeah. But um, after that, you have three days self-isolation. So we just got back our last negative COVID test. And so we're allowed back into society now. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I'm sure it feels good to be home. And uh, I'm so appreciative that you would come on the podcast. I feel like we have so many fun things to talk about. I've been a longtime fan and admirer of yours. And I feel like, yeah, there's a million different things that we could talk about, but I'm just uh, thinking about your career and this season in particular, and just sort of your evolution as an athlete. And I think there's a lot of interesting takeaways and learnings for people that will listen to this, but, you know, obviously you're a Kiwi and you're back home. Um, yeah, I think, uh, are, where are you specifically right now? Are you back uh, like in your hometown? Are you in Wanaka or which Island are you um, on? No, we're actually in Christchurch because we had to get a, a negative COVID test for the last one. And if I'd gotten home to the West coast, it would probably take like another week for us to get that result back. So yeah. <laughs> we decided to stay in Christchurch, um, for this week. I'm curious because I was just back home in Colorado for the Thanksgiving holiday the last few days. And it's so strange, like to go back to the place where you grew up. Like I feel this sense of biological connection to, to the place and the dry sort of mountain high altitude air feels like home. You know, do you get a similar feeling when you return to New Zealand after many months away? Yeah, definitely. It always, I appreciate it a lot more. I think than when I was younger, I think when I was younger, I couldn't wait to leave New Zealand and leave the place I grew up in. But, but as you said, like going back and returning, it's just, yeah, it feels like home. It's like all your comforts. Yeah. So in preparation for our conversation, I went back and watched that awesome video uh, about you that was made a couple of years ago called the West Sider. And it made me want to sort of dig into your history and your upbringing in New Zealand to help learn a little bit more about you. And one of the things that I think was striking or that stuck with me from the film was you talking about your dad and how he was such a hard worker growing up and that it was his sort of example that's influenced your approach to your athletic career. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because it seems like he sort of carried the spirit of your hometown. Like it seems like your hometown is a place of hard workers and I can totally see it in you and your athletic approach. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my dad definitely was a hard worker and, um, from a really young age, he had a a trucking company and from, I think it was, I was 10 years old. I worked for him every school holidays full time. Um, so I think it's probably a bit different to most people's upbringing. Um, I was working sometimes over 12 hours a day and I started on $3.50. I was doing all the jobs that no one wanted to do. He would give them, you think with family as well, he would throw you a bone, but that was never kind of the case with my dad. Um, And so it was a lot of cleaning jobs, painting truck covers, like cleaning grease bays, um, anything, yeah anything I can think of. And then I started also getting part of my truck licenses too. Um, and yeah, he essentially installed in me that kind of hard work ethic. And also a part of it was like, you always just like put your head down and you do the work and yeah, never draw attention to yourself was another part of it. So that's probably something I've struggled with later on uh, when you start getting results in that, but I'm definitely grateful for yeah, the way he taught me, how to work hard and like the value of a dollar and all that. 
So cool, Ruth. And yeah, again, one of the, I guess, messages that you just mentioned from the film that I thought was, I don't know, just a a great uh, illustration of, yeah, probably good parenting is, and and probably just the environment that you grew up in is this no excuses attitude and not bragging about yourself stuff. So is that something that you've struggled with in your athletic career as you've gained success and notoriety and then having this sort of a little bit of a public persona or a a public reputation in the sport and having to do all the things on social media and everything that is part of being a professional athlete and making a living capitalizing on your natural born talent. Is that, uh, is there a, a juxtaposition or a, a, a feeling of conflict where that's concerned. Yeah, totally. And I don't think it's just my, my dad's way of, yeah, I think it's a New Zealand thing as well. We have this thing in New Zealand called tall poppy syndrome where you never want to be the tall poppy in the field. And if you're the tall poppy, you've got to chop it down. <laughs> so that's something I always struggled with. And yet with social media, um, I remember I had a mutual friend, Mayal, he was the one that actually set up my Instagram account. <laughs> really? Wow. And was helping me do the first few posts. Cause I, yeah, I had just so much conflict with it and I still don't have a great narrative with social media. I'm trying to turn it into something more positive, but it's something I still struggle with today. Yeah. It's interesting. And I think it's a, it's a valuable thing to have. It's a valuable personality trait, or at least like with the athletes that I'm big fans of it's always the hardworking, no excuses, not bragging about themselves type athletes. And you totally embody that. And I think it's, uh, it's just cool to have that be somewhat connected to the spirit and the ethos of the place where you grew up as well. And it, it's sort of living from generation to generation and maybe being part of the Kiwi culture. Um, because you know, here in America, we're loud, obnoxious people who brag about ourselves quite a lot, but (laughs) Um, so, you know, talk about, about your, uh, acquaintance with sport as a kid, because I think that your story is interesting in that I know you sort of got into mountain running at a very young age, competing on the international level as a junior for your home country of New Zealand. And it's just, I think, interesting to see how your career has developed after getting into mountain running at such a young age. So talk a bit about that experience, getting into trail and mountain running, uh, how that happened for you and how it's sort of influenced the trajectory of your career. Yeah, so I think it's pretty common in New Zealand. Like if you do track and cross country, you also do the road and you also do mountain running. That was kind of a year. You didn't just do one discipline. Um, and so I, yeah, I moved to Christchurch and went to boarding school when I was about 11 and that's when I got a coach, um, and started training, uh, with him and then also under a club. Um, and so I did mountain running and just naturally did better at it and also just enjoyed it a lot more than the track and was able to represent New Zealand and went to, uh, went to Auburn as Switzerland and, Turkey. Um, and then we also did the world champs when they were here in Wellington, New Zealand. And so now looking back at that, that early mountain running experience, but like obviously having the history of also running track and cross country and stuff, does it feel like you ended up where you belonged in the mountains rather than 
racing. I mean, you do race on the roads too, and you jump into everything. That's one of the things that makes you special. I think as an athlete is your versatility, but was it the mountain running that was always your strong suit as a kid? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and even I preferred cross country as well compared to track. Like I always just naturally, yeah, kind of lent towards those more so than, than the road or the track. Yeah. I'm just thinking about this now. Aren't you coached by Jonathan Wyatt or weren't you coached by him for a little while? Mountain yeah, running legend? Still. Yeah, I think, yeah, still. He, I reached out to him after Tarawera. I think it was when I met you for the, the first time. The year we time. met. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I was living in Taiwan at the time and had just kind of got, got him back into running in my own terms and needed a coach. And I knew him from when I was a junior at mountain running. And so I reached out to him and asked him if he would coach me or if he, if he knew anyone who would and he wasn't coaching anyone at the time. I think I was the first one he took on, but he was like, ah, oh, we can try it out for a month. And if it doesn't work, he's like, I'll help you find someone else. And so I think it's five, six years later and, and we're still, still working together. Awesome. And as your career has developed too, which I want to talk about, and as you've sort of bounced back and forth between different dis distances and disciplines, and he helps you out with all that stuff from road marathon to hundred mile racing. Yeah. Yeah. So he's hasn't done an ultra, but he went to the Olympics for the marathon. So right. he's got the road covered, but he always says it's not rocket science. And so, yeah, he makes it work for the ultras yeah. too. And I guess for the listener who don't, doesn't know who John O'Wyatt is, wasn't he a five or six time mountain running world champion? Yeah. Six times mountain running world champion. Six time yeah. world champion, Kiwi mountain running icon. That's so cool that he uh, guides your training as well. So Ruth, I'm also sitting like two miles from where you went to college, yeah. which is so crazy. In fact, uh, you, so you went to the University of Portland and yeah. I, I live in St. John's in North Portland. Okay. And I actually went, went running right by your university on Willamette Avenue. I'm sure you ran there all the time when you were yeah. in school. I'm so curious about like how you ended up here in Portland. Um, and sort of like yeah, talk a little bit about that part of your running career as well. Yeah. So I finished high school and kind of moved back to the West coast. And then my parents were like, I don't know. They said, you can't stay here. I couldn't stay working for my dad. I like you to get some life experience or study or something. Um, and so I decided to, I drive, drove over to Christchurch like the day before uni started and like enrolled myself in some sport management course and then went to like one lecture the next day and was like, no, nah, this isn't for me. So like unenrolled myself. <laughs> I, mean, I was at the point where I was like, oh, I need a job to support myself. And so I had part of my truck licenses. So I was like, okay, I'll get a job driving a truck. And then I had an accident on the first day <laughs> um, and lost that job. And then uh, I got a job working at a bar and restaurant. Um, so I worked there for nearly two years. Um, and it was great. It was like just around people the same age as me. Um, and like working evenings, like finishing at four in the morning and that, and then just kind of making the running work around that. But then after, I think it was like the second year, I was just ready for a change. Um, and I'd had offers to go to the States when I was in high school, but I think I just hadn't really looked into it, wasn't really interested. And then I decided to revisit that. And my coach at the time, yeah, knew how much I kind of would probably struggle if I went somewhere like Texas or where a lot of kind of Kiwis end up in the South. And so, yeah, he helped me and 
I think, uh, yeah, had an offer for University of Portland. And so you've got Forest Park there, which is great. And then um, Ian Soloff, who was the head coach of the women's side, he said that they kind of put more emphasis on cross country as well, which kind of suited me too. And so that was kind of the decision that I'd go to Portland. Yeah. So what was that like? I mean, I can just imagine when I was that age, if the roles were reversed, right. And I went and to university in New Zealand, so far from home, how, what was that like for you on a personal level? Um, well, I'd, I'd been at boarding school since the age of 11. So mm. I think like I went home four times a year. Um, and I think you become very independent at a very young age. And so moving to the States wasn't, it wasn't like a big deal, to be honest. It was just, yeah. But I think culturally I struggled quite a bit. Like you think going from New Zealand to the U.S., would be similar, both speak English and that, but I think it did take me like a year or so to really settle in. Yeah. And, and how was the, the running experience? Did you, were you competing all four years and how how was, yeah. How was that? Um, My running probably regressed going to the States. (laughs) I didn't do a PB until my final year. Um, I struggled a lot. I had a lot of stress fractures. I think I had four um, over the period of that time. And I just, yeah, just struggled with, there was a lot more intensity compared to what I was used to in New Zealand. Like in New Zealand, we never ran on the, like we did road races, short road races, but our training was never on the road. Like we never ran on a, hardly ever trained on a synthetic track either. Mm. We just ran on grass tracks. And then it's different going to the States as well. It's very business-like. Um, so I think there was over 20 girls on the team and it was like the top seven went to, were on the varsity team and got to travel. And so mm-hmm. I think move, coming into that, it was like you're working out your picking order and your easy runs were a lot faster than what they should have. And mm-hmm. I wasn't confident enough, I don't think, in myself to like know when I needed to pull it back and and all that. And so I just didn't didn't do well in the program. Not saying it was a bad program at all. It just, yeah. just didn't suit me as a runner. So what was the learning from that? I'm curious. Cause I mean, that's, you come and dedicate four years of your life in a foreign country and work your ass off to be an athlete and regress and then, you know, get injured. How did that influence your relationship with, with running uh, itself? Um, so I think in high school, like I'd represent New Zealand, I'd been able to travel. Like I went to China as well and like Scotland and I think running was very much the epicenter of my life. <laughs> and so I think going to the States and getting injured, it was, it was a good thing in hindsight. Like it made me realize you can't just have running. Like mm. I think when I was in the States and my running, I got injured and running was going shit. It kind of, I made every other area of my life <laughs> go to shit as well. And really? so I think, huh. yeah, I think so. And so I, gave me a bit more perspective of like putting a bit more into the social aspect and yeah, into this, my academics and, and all that. So just shifting that focus from being solely focused on running. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then you became, after competing track and cross country at the university of Portland, 
you get reacquainted with trail running in like the most urban place in the entire world in Taipei, Taiwan. Am I right about that? And uh, talk about that part of your, your life and your career and how you, the hell you ended up in Taipei of all places. Yeah. So my visa was coming up in the States and I didn't want to go back to New Zealand. Um, and running up until that point had kind of dictated everywhere I'd been. Um, so it dictated the move to the U S and so I decided to move to Taiwan solely not because of running. Um, I just wanted to live somewhere I'd never been before. Um, I'd been to mainland China uh, when I was like 15 or something. And I just like loved the culture because it was just so different to anything I knew. Um, but I knew I didn't want to live in mainland China. And so a teaching position came up in Taipei. And so I kind of decided to move there. Not a lot of thought went into it. Really. Uh. So you were yeah. teaching English in Taipei? Yeah, initially for the first, I think it was year and a half I was teaching English. Yeah. So then how did you get, well, how did the, the passion for trail running come back into the picture at this sort of transition moment in your life? Um, so I moved to Taiwan and I did a lot of like partying and drinking for the first six months and put on a lot of weight. Um, and then I joined Hash Harriers. So the running club with the drinking problem. No, <laughs> no, the drinking club with the running problem. Running problem, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I joined that and just as a way to meet people as well, because I didn't know anyone when I first got to um, Taiwan. And then I started just getting back into running on my own terms, like not having a coach telling me what to do or anything like mm -hmm. that. Did mainly road races to begin with. And then the North Face, um, had a race and the 15k because I couldn't understand Chinese at the time. Um, so I'd missed out on signing up for the 15k. It was already full and the 50, 50k had spots. And so I ended up entering that. What a great story. I mean, do you pinch yourself and look back at that? And like, I sort of accidentally signed up for a 50k and now looking where you are as a professional athlete and, you know, one of the best in the world, like what a wild ride that must've been. Yeah, well, I, I don't think moving <laughs> to Taiwan would would lead me back like back into running at all. So it's yeah. funny how sometimes you end up going full circle without without the intention. Yeah, crazy. All right, so let's bring it full circle before we talk more about your career. Um, so you now sort of split time between Europe and Wanaka, I believe, right? Yeah. Talk, talk about that place. Cause I've heard it's like the best place in the world <laughs> to live as a, as a trail runner. And it, I've never visited, unfortunately, but it seems like that's sort of your winter training ground for the Northern hemisphere people, but basically you're alternating summers, <laughs> alternating hemispheres, spending, you know, the first six months of the year, it seems like in Wanaka before coming up to Europe for the European racing season in the summer. Yeah. Wait, have you been to the South Island? No, never. I've only been yeah. to Rotorua basically. Uh, yeah. You've got to come to the South Island. Yeah. Um, Wanaka is like a pretty small town. Um, it's by a lake and it's where, yeah, a lot of people will come. You'll get the winter ski bums and then in the summer it's, um, yeah, pretty ideal for life. You're into anything in the outdoors, mountain biking, trail running, like kayaking, anything like that. Um, and so I decided to base myself there just because it's a, a small town vibe, but just a lot of people that are 
into the outdoors. And so I think when you've got that, it's always a good place to find a good community as well. So, yeah. And what's the plan now? You'll be there until April or May and then go back to Europe for the bulk of the racing season or I guess maybe come back here to the U.S.? Yeah, so I'm kind of based, I split between the West Coast where I grew up and then down in Wanaka. And then, yeah, I'd probably be coming back to the U.S. All right, well, yeah. we'll talk about that in a sec because I think I know what you're implying there. So, <laughs> so Ruth, I want to talk about your career because I think it's fascinating and instructive for younger athletes, sort of the next generation coming coming behind you. And it seems that you've been like super intentional with your evolution as an athlete, starting with the, the shorter sort of sky running events, um, before you sort of transitioned into, or at least sort of experimented with some of the longer races and then determined that that wasn't the direction that you wanted to go with your career. And even though you were like being, you were very successful at the longer distance races, you made the conscious decision to abandon the ultra side of things. In fact, in that video that I just referenced at the beginning of our conversation, you specifically say, I am not an ultra runner. Um, so I, I talk, uh, like you even wrote a great article about this a couple of years ago, sort of encouraging people, not necessarily to jump into the deep end and only think that ultra running is hundred K hundred mile races or more. Um, so talk about that point in your career where you made that intentional decision and what was behind it. Um, yeah, so I got into trail running and was kind of, I think on the trajectory to doing, wanting to do Western States and UTMB. Um, and so I'd done CCC and then I signed up, I thought the next progress progression would be Laborato. Um, and then Jono's always kind of like, why do you want to do those sort of events? <laughs> coming from the short amount of running, but he's always like, if you're motivated for it, like I'll help you. He's going to help with the training and that, um, signed up for Labrado and then just had an awful experience, like was throwing up and just was like, I felt like it was just so much hiking. And then Jono had, had come to crew me as well. <laughs> so I was like, I'm never doing one of these again. Um, but I think it was just at the time I'd gotten caught up in the hype. There's just so much hype around hundred miles and stuff. And I was doing it. I think my intention was in the wrong place and I was doing it for the wrong reason. And I just, it was pure and simple. I wasn't enjoying it. And so, yeah, there was no point in continuing to do ultras if the enjoyment isn't there. It's fascinating though, because, you know, you and I met at Tarawera in 2015, which was your first hundred K and you finished second. And then later that year you won CCC and beat Magda Boulay, who that year was probably the best athlete in the world. She won ultra runner of the year here in North America. It was the only time she didn't win. You beat her at CCC. And then in 17, you were second at Lavaredo. But so between 2015 and this year, Lavaredo was the only ultra that you did. So what was so traumatizing about it? Because like on paper, it would seem like, okay, you're you're still getting great results. You finished second in two of the three races and you won the third of the longer distance events. What was so traumatizing about Lavaredo that turned you off so much? I think it was just like the throwing up and just feeling like I was hiking and just, I just didn't enjoy it. But it was so like, I think you've got to remember I had only not long done my first 50 K and then stepped it up to 120. So I think it's still, 
like even though I'd had success over a short distance, I still hadn't done many. Like I think it was, I jumped quite quickly from 50K to even 100. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So you you feel like you should have just given yourself a little bit more time and maybe that's uh, how you ended up in 2021 back on the, the longer distance races? Yeah, I think so. I needed more time um, to do the shorter, like, well, not shorter, like 50K in that. And then also, I, as I said, I think my intention was in the complete wrong place. Like, I was doing it for the hype and mm-hmm. that and just not enjoying it. So, yeah. 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 I think it's just a great point because still, and especially in the US, ultra running is sort of the most important type of trail running. It's sort of like when you get introduced to the sport, you get introduced to hundred mile racing. And there is at least a moderate level of pressure, I would say, to eventually do those races. And for some people it's, it's not motivating or it takes a lot longer for them to find the motivation to tackle the longer distance races. And, you know, I, I just loved how you sort of publicly made the argument that you don't have to do this if you don't want to. Right. <laughs> no. And I think like when you're younger as well, you've got a lot of speed. I think it makes sense to do the shorter stuff while you still have the speed and then jump up to the longer stuff when you've got a bit more experience around those 50 K 80, like 50 K 50 mile distance. Yeah. So was writing that article and I'll try and find it and link to it here in the show notes. Was that sort of your, public declaration or sort of like coming to terms with your own motivations and defending them publicly or what was the thought process behind writing that article? I think it was from living in Taiwan, to be honest, because running in Taiwan and in Asia, it was just, it's kind of been on the rise, especially trail running. And I see, saw firsthand, like a lot of runners who had done maybe a half marathon on the road and next minute were signing up for a hundred K trail race. So it came a lot from my observations in Asia (laughs) more than anything. It was, and especially in Asia, it was all about running long. That was all that mattered. Um, Um, And so, yeah, it was about that more so than anything. Interesting. It reminds me sort of the early days of my career too, when, yeah, it was just all about running long and slow and like the best athletes, nobody had coaches, nobody was doing intervals. It was just all about sort of going out and jogging for four or five hours a day. So you were trying to encourage your fellow uh, trail runners in the, on the Asian continent to, um, maybe, uh, do some harder, faster stuff. Yeah. And just not be in such a rush. And it's like, it was insane. Like people were just backing up these like extremely long ultras, like weekend after weekend. And I was like, okay, this is not normal. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So what changed? I mean, here we are in 2021, nearly the end of the year, time flies. And aside from Lavaredo, like I said, you hadn't run anything over like 80 K between 2015 and 2021. And then this year you came back. So what, what, what changed? What uh, gave you the spark to come back to the longer ultras? Um, I think if anything, I'm not motivated to do the same thing every year, the same Mm. races. Um, And I'd been doing golden trail, which was great. Uh, But I'd found it was a lot of the same races and also racing a lot of the same women as well. Uh. 
and I was just ready for a change. And yeah, I thought about Western States and even just thinking about it, it got me super excited, um, which I hadn't felt towards a race for a really long time. And so, yeah, that's why I kind of chose Western States. And also it made the most logical sense time-wise to step it up in distance because it is runnable. So you're talking about 17 and a half hours compared to if I was to do UTMB, it's 20 plus hours. And so I think, yeah, Western States was the the choice. So, but, but why, why was that the one that, that got you excited? I mean, yeah, obviously like UTMB is longer and more mountainous, but like what you've won OCC how many times, two or three? Uh, twice. You've won OCC twice. You've won CCC once. Eventually, I'm sure you'll get around to UTMB. What was it about uh, Western states that actually gave you that excitement? Um, I like running. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hate hiking, yeah. but also like the history of the race and just, yeah, everyone talks about Western states and it seemed, I don't know, it's just the one that I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, but was there, yeah, was there any sort of hesitation to, to come back into the longer stuff or was it, did it feel like the right point in your career and that you would sort of, if you were to continue to do 80 K and below, you'd sort of just be recycling a lot of the races you've already done. Yeah. I was just ready for a new challenge, I think, and wanted something completely new. And it's like that whole hundred mile distance is for me completely new. It's just like something I didn't know how to navigate it. And so it was, yeah, that's, that's what kind of like enticed me the most Yeah, going into like unknown territory. Well, you did quite well and I do want to talk about it, but I guess before we get to it now, coming back to ultras for a season, you know, at least doing Tarawera hundred K and Western States hundred miler. How do you feel about your strengths and weaknesses as an athlete. Cause for me, as an observer, it feels like you're like the most steady, consistent high performer that we have in the sport across all different courses, all different distances. Where, where do you see your, your strength as an athlete? Um, definitely on runnable. I think I struggle with technical most, um, I'm not a super strong descender either. So, and I think that's kind of flowy. I think it's more my jam. Yeah. Cool. Um, so just to sort of talk about your season a little bit, obviously you, you started the year in your home country up on the North Island at Tarawera, where you won the race outright first overall on your home turf. And that was sort of your first hundred K plus event in four or five years. Uh, how was that as a validation of like your skill set at the longer distance races? And did you, were you worried going into it that you wouldn't enjoy it? Oh, not at all. Like for me, I actually, it wasn't a target race Tarawera. I was training for the road. Um, and so I didn't specifically train for that. Um, and so it was just to go in and yeah, there was no pressure at all, really it was yeah pure enjoyment and like our borders were shut as well and so it was a like a kiwi field and yes there wasn't any of that pressure had there been a more international presence yeah yeah i had forgotten because you were training for what was it a, a road marathon prior to tarawera 
Yeah, there was a, some a trial over in Sydney that I was training for, and it was like middle of April. That didn't go to plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, the training must have translated really well to, to Tarawera, which is, of course, a pretty fast track. So. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I knew that even if the marathon didn't go well, it, it wouldn't be wasted training. Like, as you said, it would convert well over to Western States. And so, yeah, I pulled out at about 32 K in the marathon trials and I was like, okay, it wasn't my day. And then just refocus and then shift back over to trails after that. And there it was an overall victory at, at Tarawera to start the year. And then I mean, that, that must have given you some good confidence going into Western states, but obviously there was like, what, four or five months in between. Did you do anything in between Tarawera and, and Western states? And I guess just to kind of talk about how you structured your season in that way and how Tarawera and that performance there helped to prepare you to get back into the longer distance races with your first hundred miler. Um, so essentially I did road up until middle of April. Um, so yeah, like I didn't have a long run, probably over two and a half hours. And then I was doing a lot of specific sessions all on the road. Um, and then after that, I went and did UTA 50, um, oh. over an Aussie. And then I think a week after that I flew over to the U S so I didn't actually have that much time. I think it was by the time I got over jet lag and everything. And then you've got the taper at the other end. I think I only got three good weeks in of, of high running volume. And it was all about at that point getting long runs in my legs. Cause that's what I was lacking. So huh. I think, yeah, looking back, I probably could have done with a bit more time, on the trails and a bit more time to get some longer endurance runs in before Western States. So, so you feel like maybe you over indexed on the speed early in the year, but I, I feel yeah. like that, I feel like that's a delicate balance and that the speed I'm sure was valuable to some degree at Western States. You feel like you, you should have done a little bit more, a few longer runs. Yeah, I felt like I could have had a couple more weeks and that would have been a better balance. Yeah. Amazing. So let's talk about Western States because it was so freaking fun to be there and to have the front row seat, you know, doing the commentary. And obviously you finished a super strong, methodical second place performance in your first hundred miler and the best women's race in Western States history. What was your psychology like going into the event and yeah. How was, uh, what was your, what was your strategy? Because it seemed like you ran like a super, super solid, even consistent race. Um, so yeah, I was pretty confident in my training and everything. It was more worried about the heat and also nutrition and just not knowing what would happen with the longer distance. But I think I'd been talking with Paul and who knows just so much about the course and, yeah, he had pretty much drilled into me about how the race doesn't start till Forest Hill. And my goal was just to go out and be conservative until that point and then see if I still had legs from there. And so I think I, yeah, I felt pretty confident in my training. And so I was okay letting everyone else go off. Um, and I also felt quite a few of them had gone off a bit too hard. And so I was hoping I'd be able to pull them in later on. Well, it, it certainly paid off. And 
the uh you know the the women's field obviously like it was a historic day at western states and you were you were part of it and the dynamic of the women's race was was interesting throughout did you ever feel that you know that that level of competition in real time as you guys were on the trail and was there ever a moment where you felt like you had an opportunity to win um i don't know if i ever felt i had an opportunity to run I, I think beth just had just such a strong day and we were close i think the closest i got to her was 16 minutes and then after that she had made time on me so i think yeah i think at that point i was just trying to protect second um and hoping there would be no surge from anyone behind us but no it was it was a fun day to be a part of i think so many strong women and i think that's when you can all push yourselves to, to do better. Was there any moments of drama? I mean, in your first hundred, <laughs> hundred miler, you come to Western States and take home a second place finish in a super, super fast, like historically fast time. Was there any serious moments of drama and what do you attribute the success in your first hundred mile to hundred miler to? Um, so the success I think is just doing the basics, right? I think, I think for, uh, Western States, it's about like keeping yourself cool, like getting nutrition in and doing all that right. Um, not letting the ego come into play too early on. And if you can keep all that in check, then I think you set yourself up later on for the race. And I think I did have moments, I think it was the last like 10 to 15 miles where I think I really dropped the ball mentally. I think I was a bit resistant to really getting in the pain cave. And I think that's what I learned from from this year um but overall it was a very positive I think that's what I said at the finish line it was just a positive experience I was expecting it to have a lot more lows and a lot than what I did um but yeah just everything seemed to work out on the day <laughs> well I hope you enjoyed that because that's typically yeah. that's not typically <laughs> how it goes <laughs> Don't get used to that, Ruth. Don't get used to that. Was there any uh, like major learnings from the race for you? Because you just alluded to this, but it sounds like you're coming back to Western States. So please confirm whether or not you're going to race Western States again. And and if so, what do you plan to to tweak, whether it's in your training or in the race execution? Um. Yes, I am coming back. What would I change? I think... I, it's, it's tricky because I ran very conservative, which I think helped me later on the race. And I think I would like, to, it's easy to say I could have gone out harder, but then you never know. You could definitely could pay for that um, in the second half. So I'd like to come back and I think it's just mentally knowing that, okay, you've completed a hundred miles, you know, you know what it's about this time and coming back in a different headspace, I think, and just being able to yeah run a bit more aggressive crazy well i can't wait to see you come back uh to western states and you know i think just the level of competition in the women's field last year you guys have a lot to live up to in terms of putting on another amazing show in 2022 and i certainly hope a lot of the characters that were in the race do return those top 10 finishers who, uh, you know, were sort of at least half of the top 20 were, were the women and, and you guys were just so, so strong and so entertaining. So it's going to be so fun to, 
to watch again in 2022. And then you and I bumped into each other when we saw each other over at UTMB. And of course you were supposed to run CCC. And then I was out for a morning run on Friday morning when CCC, after CCC had just started, I think it was, and happened to bump into you out on the trail. And uh, you had announced earlier in the week that you were going to pull the plug and not run CCC. And again, I felt like, you know, Ruth Croft is smart and intentional with her career. And I think it's important to talk about this stuff and because I think it's instructive to, to younger athletes. And it seems to me, you know, you talked about getting injured in college, but it seems to me like you've had just a solid, consistent, fairly healthy knock on wood career. And I might be wrong about that, but if I'm right, I sort of attribute it to these decisions, like the one that you made at CCC. So talk about why you didn't race CCC. Um, well, actually the reason was I got a stomach bug, uh, like I think it was oh. on the Sunday or the Monday. Yeah. So I had to pull, I wasn't able to eat for a whole day. And then after that, I was like, okay, there's no way I can run hundred K on that. But there was, I, it should have never got to the point where it took a stomach bug for me not to be on the start line. Um, cause originally I was planning to race it and, like after Western States, I had three weeks completely off, no running, then got back to Europe and then started getting back into running, felt absolutely awful. And then like a couple of weeks later, <laughs> things started to click a bit better. But like there was such a short window between, what is it, six? No, I think it was even eight weeks. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's like there's no way you can be firing on all cylinders from Western States to then CCC. But physically I was feeling like decent, not great, but I think it came more mentally. Like I had this massive like resistance to going to the wild to like really having to dig deep again. Um, but I had been like a typical runner and told myself that it was going to be fine and it's a hundred K you'll be right. She'll be right. You'll get around it. Um, and so, yeah, originally I was, I was still intending to be on that start line. And so oh. <laughs> the blessing was, yeah, the blessing was getting sick, but it should have never taken getting sick for me to be able to make that decision. So I think it was, yeah, I did really learn about, okay. I think sometimes I get too caught up in my head and don't listen to my gut. Yeah. Um, and I'd known that I shouldn't be on that start line. Um, but I was just trying to, to override it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause again, you, you do feel like you have to kind of live up to expectations or you're at the, on the biggest stage in trail running and you want to take advantage of that opportunity. You were a previous champion at CCC and I totally sympathize with you because this is exactly what happened to me at the grand raid where a few days before I left, I was like, I should probably cancel this trip. <laughs> I should probably not get on that plane and fly about as far as you possibly can. And while staying on planet earth, uh, and, uh, you know, that instinct is often accurate, isn't it? What we, yeah. What we, yeah. And there's a lot of the time, yeah, there's so many other external factors that come into that are like coming into play. And then it's like, okay, trying to just like silence all those and make a decision on what's best for you. 
um, which is something I'm trying to be a bit better at. <laughs> yeah. So, so good. And yeah, I'm still trying to get better at it too, as a, uh, <laughs> as an aging veteran of the sport. So <laughs> we're always, always trying to get better. And yeah, I'm going to try and remember to listen to my instincts next time, but no promises. Yeah. <laughs> so then catch us up from there, because obviously you finished the season, um, at Templier, one of the greatest races in the world and a race that's not as well known in the U S a race I did, I think back in 2016 and had just such a phenomenal experience, even though I had a terrible race and a race that I encourage Americans to travel to if they can. And you managed to win the race for a second time. Um, so sort of talk about the period in between CCC and Templier and what you think you did well in that preparation that contributed to another awesome victory. Um, so I honestly hadn't been feeling great. Like, so after I kind of got over the summit thing at CCC, like I was still feeling quite tired and not my normal self. And so, yeah, with Jono, we just really cut back my running mileage and just took all long runs out and that. And then I went to Austria for the Adidas Terex mm. team camp and infinite trails. And then, yeah, it was just like a week running with good people, like good trails, um, and then it was like the end of that week I started, I just felt back to myself, like my normal self, which, yeah, when I look back, it's quite a long time post Western States. So it was like the end of September, early October. Um, and so I had been training consistently since, um, I'd been in sham. So yeah, end of, end of June, um, no, end of July. And so I decided, okay, I want to put all this training towards one more race and just I'd had a bit of doubts kind of creeping in <laughs> that like maybe wasn't going to be able to race another ultra because of what Western States uh -huh. have done to me. So it was good just to have one more race to finish the season and just more for the, the mental boost than anything. Yeah. And the race itself is, uh, I mean, talk about the race itself. Cause it seems like you returned to the race and it's such a great event. What's the, uh, the selling point for Templier, would you say? Um, so it's like a running festival. It's over, I don't know, three or four days. Um, I think they have over 10,000 people, is it? And I've got 12 events. Uh, the the main race is there. It's now 82K. Um, and it's like you're running through little villages, no massive climbs or anything. It's yeah. a very rolling, non-technical course. Um, and just got a good, really good vibe. Um and so, yeah, I had won it back in 2017 and I just really enjoyed the whole race experience. So I just wanted to go back. Yeah. It's sort of like the European equivalent of the old North face 50 mile championship where it's like yeah. very important, especially for the French ultra community, very competitive. There's prize money on the line and it's just like a good vibe and sort of like a party atmosphere too. So yeah, really, really awesome race. So how are you feeling about your 2021 season? Because to me, it's like just so freaking solid and it fits into your career of just like such solid, consistent, high performance. So this year you won Terrawera outright. You were first overall, or you won the UTA 50 K second at Western States and then won how are you feeling about your season? I know you, in your culture in New Zealand, you're, 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 you guys don't brag about yourselves, but please, please brag, brag about yourself for a few minutes. Um, 
Yeah, I'm just like stoked that it all kind of went to plan. But I think my main lessons this year was like the 100 mile distance just takes such a massive toll on your body. Um, And I think it comes back to in college, like I got to that point where I didn't enjoy running anymore. And I really don't want that to repeat itself like in trail running. Um, So I think it's going to be like, it's okay to say no to races every now and then, even though it feels like it's a hard thing to do, but I think for the longevity um, and I want to be able to do this for the years to come. So I think it's about really selecting the races I do quite carefully. uh, And like next year after Western States, like not putting, like not having any races on the calendar, like leaving it wide open Mm. so that there's no pressure to get back racing. Yeah. Brilliant. So if you think about your career, Ruth, like from Golden Trail, sort of like half marathon distance racing in the mountains all the way up to runnable 100 milers, I mean, you almost never don't finish on the podium. And like you almost never have a bad race, I feel like. You're going to jinx me. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to (laughs) jinx you. What, uh, like, is there anything that you do in particular, like in, in training that you think has contributed to being so successful across different distance distances and across different course types? Like, do you and Jono, obviously you train specifically for races, but maybe give us a glimpse into what you think has contributed to your versatility as an athlete. Um, I think with like Jono is making sure that any race that we decide to do, like it allows proper preparation. It's like everything's very well planned out. Um, And so I think that enables me to do well. It's not trying to race every like a lot, um, but also, I don't know. I I think a lot of strength training has definitely helped me over the years. It's something that I got quite into when I moved back to New Zealand and got a strength and conditioning coach. And I think that's made a massive difference. Like it's prevented me getting injured and just made me so much stronger as a runner. Um, But yeah, I think it always comes back to if you have the right preparation for events and and don't over race, you can do well. Yeah. So let's talk about what's next for Ruth Croft after an amazing 2021 season, coming back to your home country to enjoy the holidays. When are you going to get back into training? And aside from Western States, what's on your radar for 2022? Yeah. So we started back kind of running now. We had our first run back in the real world today. And then I'm planning to do Kepler, which is a 60K in middle of January. Um, it's quite a, I'd say, a prestigious trail race for Kiwis. It's on a great walk and it's normally at the beginning of December, but because of COVID, they've moved it to middle of January. And I normally haven't done it because it's kind of at the end of a European trail season and I'm ready to shut things down by then. Um, so I'll start building up for that. And then most likely I'm going to do a bit of road and then yeah, we'll focus on Western States. So, but aside from Kepler, are you going to plug anything in to the spring or is it TBD still? Um, yeah, I haven't decided to be honest. Yeah, we'll see. Well, I'm excited to see what you do, Ruth. And yeah, um, you know, I think you're just an awesome, awesome athlete and it's always so fun to sort of follow what you do. And yeah, I just think that the way you approach 
your career and approach to sport in general is like very instructive. I think people can learn from what you do. Do you put your, like your training on Strava or anything? I haven't looked. Um, I did, but then I, I, I stopped doing that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> was like, you wouldn't upload for a while and you get messages, yeah. people asking you if you're injured, injured or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Everything and okay? like, I, it just feels like another social media thing. So yeah. Like, yeah. No, I don't. Well, cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show and chit-chatting a little bit. I hope you have a uh, Merry Christmas and uh, hopefully we'll bump into each other sometime in 2022. Western States, if not before, I'll see you there. Sounds good. Thanks, right, Dylan. <laughs> okay, that is it. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Thank you so much to Ruth. If you don't already, go follow her on Instagram. Send her a direct message. Let her know if you enjoyed the show. Again, remember to join us on Sunday morning for the premiere of Begin Again. You'll find a link in the show notes. We would love to have you there live. So plan on it, 9 a.m. Pacific time on Sunday morning. We will see you there. Thanks again to Conference Sport for sponsoring this podcast for the entire month and for also sponsoring our first feature length film. We so appreciate it. Visit compressport.com to check out their insanely nice trail running product. That's it for now. Thank you so much for your understanding this week. It's been a huge week for us getting this rebrand off the ground, finishing up the video. So many great things planned for the future, but thank you all for being here. I love you guys so, so much. We'll see you again very soon. Bye-bye.